0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Uh, Jason, welcome back. Happy Monday. Hope you had a nice weekend. Monday,
1: morning, Dan. Yes, happy Monday. It was a nice weekend. And uh, on to another week.
0: Absolutely. And with the new week comes a new house view from the UBS Chief Investment Office. I know we just received the house view monthly letter as well as investment strategy guide for the month of May so we'll be digging into the current thinking outlook from the chief investment office and of course guidance when it comes to portfolio positioning so as I was going through the monthly letter I picked up on how there are no shortage of risks at the moment facing investors the market environment as of late it has held steady with equity returns on the rise and volatility at low levels so Jay- Jason, how do you explain this dynamic right now, and what does sentiment seem to suggest about the outlook for the U.S. economy from here?
1: Well, you mentioned that equities have had steady volatility low. Just over the past week, if you look at the S&P 500, you know it basically was, it was almost unchanged. To, you know, very, very kind of you know, modest movements. You know, over the course of the week, same thing in plan with you know ten-year ten-year Treasury yields uh, collectively over the whole week. This comes after a month in which we've seen equities uh, and other risk assets kind of rally quite a bit, basically since the low in mid-March when the Silicon Valley Bank, you know, know, went under sort of the banking crisis was at its, let's call it its apex. So you've had this kind of rally that was been fueled by, you know, receding concerns about the bank stress and the bank uh, crisis, that this is going to become like not a bigger contagion. We've had better inflation news uh, that's going to at least kind of reinforce the belief that inflation is going to come down. Perhaps a little, too compla- uh, investors a little too complacent on that front. We've had growth data that's been on a global basis, you know, reasonably solved. Like data about Europe looks a little bit better, continue improvement there. Same thing out of China, US, we continue to see some moderation. But again, moderation at the margin is not a big kind of decline in terms of economic activity. And even in some cases, like on some of the housing data, like on auto sales, or things that actually picked up slightly recently. So when you look at the overall picture of this, you can see why investors and why markets are rallied a bit based off of what it appears to be in the near term declining risk in a market outcome. That at the moment the market's pricing, I think, for a relatively benign kind of you know market outcome. Uh and so then you have, you know, not a lot of news, which is on quite last week. Uh you know, the markets were pretty flat, all things told, and so they now are in this let's say sort of somewhat complacent period until something else, some sort of next shoe drops one way or another. But I think there's an element of Things have gone reasonably well, but the markets are pricing in something closer to kind of a perfect landing for the US economy as opposed to our base case, which. Uh, you know, it still entails growth flowing during the rest of this year. So,
0: Jason, maybe we can expand a bit on the macro outlook from here. This against the backdrop, as you alluded to, high valuations across risk assets, what we've been seeing in equity markets as of late. What kind of likely scenarios does the chief investment office, Jason, see unfolding as it relates specifically to both growth and inflation? What exactly has the market priced in, you think?
1: Well, I think it's priced in you know pretty good outcome for both that inflation will continue to decline steadily throughout this year. That to some extent the market is looking at its inflation high inflation as a problem for 2022. This year is a year of significant disinflation and it's trending towards a level that will ultimately you know fall enough that the Fed can be comfortable with you know kind of easing off and ultimately kind of cutting rates. On the flip side, on growth, I think it's again it's sort of pricing in a decent amount of, kind of optimism that you know, a soft landing could ultimately kind of materialize without significant kind of economic pain. Uh, and that, that certainly is a possibility uh, and we wouldn't rule it out. But at the same time, when you look at some of the data out there on, you know, on banking activity, lending activity, there's clearly some signs that it's, you know, credit conditions to continue to tighten. This was independent even of Silicon Valley bank and the banking crisis. Those conditions were getting tighter for last year and the trend has continued it doesn't look like it's necessarily accelerated because of the banking crisis. Uh, at the same time, at least in the near term, you're not seeing a lot of companies, small businesses, reporting lack of access to credit is really their concerning issue. You know, labor problems continue to kind of dominate those survey results. It's likely those will pick up later this year as, you know, the, the tighter credit does start to bite. Because if you're a small business, you, you know, you maybe kind of you know, borrowed some, you have additional you know, capital on hand for at least a couple of quarters, but later in this year, it's likely that's going to start to impinge on, on activity. And there are indications of a little bit of pickup in, in default rates. Uh, that's a sign of you know, some stress that, that's kind of slowly building in the system. The same thing with kind of rising uh, delinquency rates on credit cards. So it's clearly having some impact, but I think the impact going to take a, a couple of quarters. So when we look at you know the market's pricing, it does seem a little bit, uh, at odds with, with kind of the, the, the reality, but certainly when we look at the macro and think about the trajectory, the markets are pricing in you know, a relatively you know, positive scenario, one that we think that's also going to kind of you know, improve it on ground, probably more so on the growth front, a little too much optimism there, more so than on, on inflation not coming down. So inflation, we do expect to come down, but even there, there's some indications that you know, some of the disinflation that has been sort of assumed or baked in by the market may not materialize. For example... On well, shelter, we know from last year to much last year, housing prices are declining and the increase in rents were also kind of moderating back to kind of pre pandemic levels. But the most recent high frequency data would suggest that rent growth is kind of bottomed out and it's actually kind of picking up a little bit. Now, the way that sort of the shelter inflation works, it's a long lag into CPI, you know, anywhere from six, 10, 12 months to kind of really flow in. So the market's been assuming, well, that's going to roll over and it's going to bring shelter inflation down significantly by later this year. That direction is still going to hold. The latest data suggests maybe the floor is a little bit higher than the market's assumed. So again, just sort of some data points along even with some you know, data on wages that show improvement, but maybe not as much improvement as, as the market has been assuming. And if that happens, you know, if growth is resilient, then it does mean the Fed can do all sequel more. So it's certainly a plausible scenario that things go very well, but you know kind of almost everything has to kind of go according to plan. The market to be justified at current levels.
0: So, Jason, as far as how the Fed, you pointed out how the Fed might be interpreting this all, how do you see these scenarios, macro scenarios you laid out for us, how might that all translate to an outlook for central bank policy? Are you anticipating that the Fed might soon pause with its hiking campaign? And are rate cuts on the table in 2023?
1: At this point, the market is assuming with about a 90% probability that the Fed will raise rates uh, at the FOMC meeting on Wednesday, May 3rd. I think that's a pretty safe bet given you know, the data we've seen thus far. What will be kind of watched for at that point in time is statements from Chair Powell at the press conference regarding you know, a June hike. The market is only around 15 to 20% probability of, of a hike in June. I think I just, what Powell will have to say is you know, it's on the table. We, we'll see how the data plays out in terms of growth holding up, signs of inflation, either disinflation or inflation being sticky, but perhaps most important for them, indications that the banking system and credit conditions, how they're playing out post the banking crisis that uh, materialized in March. I think the Fed has been assuming that tighter credit conditions will substitute for like one or two rate hikes, but that's assuming that credit is actually getting tighter. If it turns out they're not seeing a lot of signs of that by the time they get to the June meeting, they might feel like, well, given the strength of the economy, you're not seeing credit you know, tighter, that's going to slow the economy later on. Back in March, we were thinking and then assuming that there would be upwards of four more hikes. Well, that would imply a hike in June and a hike in July. So I think that makes the, the June meeting certainly on the table. Uh, and the direction of travel, things are okay, with, is to push the Fed towards it. Uh, in the Powell's comments, you know, will will kind of give some indication. There's been various Fed speakers and governors out there suggesting, like, you know, kind of we'll hike once more, then maybe we should pause. I really think they're, at this point in time, they're sort of data dependent. In terms of cuts later on this year, just given the current strength and resiliency of the economy, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to roll over that quickly, certainly not by the early summer. Uh, and by that, I mean having the labor market start to produce you know, very low job growth or outright job losses, that would kind of warrant them cutting rates. As long as job growth is positive, I think there's no reason for them to cut, especially if inflation still yet isn't at the target. I think they're assuming it's going to take about two years before it really gets close to Get back to two percent. So while the market is pricing about 50 basis points of cuts by year end, I think more likely is the, the market ends up having to price some of out, which is where we were, uh, you know, back in March before the banking crisis. If that's the case, that means rates drift at least a little bit higher, uh, and we kind of end up sort of replaying as a market dynamic sort of what happened back in Q1, where you had a strong start to the year, kind of an everything rally, similar to what we experienced over the past month, and then too much resiliency in the market and growth and inflation led to the market pricing in a lot more rate hikes. We won't do quite as much going forward, but I think really it's about maybe the Fed goes to the five and a quarter or above and holds steady through year end, which the market isn't assuming. The longer they go in keeping the rates high, the more likely something else can be kind of breaks later on. So to me it kind of increases the risk, you know, more for, for late this year and in 2024. I think, you know, barring some sort of real rapid deterioration of the economy, think they're hiking and holding as long as
0: possible. Well, Jason, thank you for helping us manage expectations as to what we might see from the Fed in the way of monetary policy through year-end and how this might all impact market activity. So, okay, at this point, maybe we can talk about how CIO is recommending that investors' position consider asset allocation in consideration of the current environment and what might be coming down the pike.
1: Well, in terms of overall asset allocation, in in our house you update, we did Make any changes, uh, you know, or at least only modest changes. We still have equities overall as kind of least preferred uh, bonds as most preferred. Uh, and within fixed income, you know, we like high quality bonds. That's a key message that we're emphasizing. That you want to kind of go up in quality. Uh, I know for for another aspect of that, a lot of our clients and advisors are thinking about you know you know buying short duration bonds, kind of managing that kind of liquidity portfolio. But I think it's important to have the perspective of taking up almost like a barbell approach in fixed income. Yes, you want to get that income and uh, kind of set sort of relative safety at the short end of uh, the kind of the curve, like, you know, less than three years. But sort of barbelling that by pairing it with kind of higher quality, longer duration bonds, whether it's treasuries, but also investment, corporate bonds, mortgage backed securities, we think provides actually better portfolio vacation within fixed income, but certainly within multi asset portfolios. And the reason being is that like, if things do deteriorate, if we get a you know, recession or we're on the cusp of a recession, bond yields are likely to fall. And you'll get sort of better total return impact uh, at the back end of the curve, like you know, in a 10 tenure, than you would if you buy, you know, a three-month T-bill or even a two-year T-bill. Rates will decline, but you get much more kind of, you know, uh, total return impact and sort of diversification benefit from that. And what we've actually seen over the past six weeks is the correlation between Treasuries and the S&P 500, which last year was mostly positive. Now it's turned deeply negative. So the benefits of the 60-40 type of portfolio, the stock bond portfolio, are greatest when you get that diversification effect. And that's what we're seeing with bonds, that they are providing a diversification. The markets are more concerned about kind of growth right now than they are inflation. So that's kind of a key kind of guidance. Uh, within equities, uh, we continue to sort of lean from a sector allocation to be a little more defensive, uh, given how much you know, you know equities are rallied. Uh, also, looking outside of the U.S., you know, it's kind of diversified beyond U.S. equities, diversified beyond growth stocks, which, again, have been very strong performers this year. If ultimately we get a growth slowdown, the markets, I think, have kind of rallied to some extent in tech because of a flight to safety bid. And maybe a presumption that these are going to hold up well in a downturn. They did in 2020 during the pandemic. A lot of those mega cap tech stocks did well, but partly because they also have this massive kind of tailwind from – you know, consumers staying at home and going online. So it reflected very significantly, kind of, you know, technological adoption. That same kind of dynamic is unlikely to play out if there's a recession, you know, later this year into next year. So I think there's a little bit of false safety that investors have right now with growth stocks and tech stocks to kind of diversify kind of beyond that. Uh, when you look at your overall equity allocation, looking into value stocks looking a little more defensive and looking outside of the U.S. Particularly, we like emerging markets.
0: Jason, thank you for that guidance when it comes to portfolio positioning. Again, before we close out, I do want to point our listeners, our clients, to the HouseView publication suite for the month of May, including the HouseView monthly letter. That title is What is Priced In? That along with the investment strategy guide available for you now up on UBS.com slash CIO. I also want to point out Jason Dreho's recent blog, The Math, is the math which ties right into the topics we've been covering here on top of the morning for you today though for clients of UBS simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive the house view resources directly though Jason thank you as always for dropping by top of the morning for the CIO strategy snapshot keeping our listeners informed on CIO's current thinking and guidance when it comes to positioning and wish you a nice week ahead
1: thank you have a good week